Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff here. As always, I'm joined by David Kinneman. David, hello. What's hey. going in your life this week? Hey, Carrie, how's it going? It's good to see you. It's going really well. Nice to be back at work. Nice to... What's your favorite season? Have I asked you that? I don't think so. Um, I don't know. Each each season has such an interesting um, kind of thing for me. I mean, there's different reasons to like you know each of the seasons. I once have, We have a good friend named Craig Springer who leads Al- oh, yeah. Alpha. And um, I once asked him what his favorite season was. And he's like, I don't know. There's different reasons for it. And I was like, wait, you're not a favorite. Spring is not your favorite. And he's like, no, no, not necessarily. And I was like, dude, your name is Craig Springer. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, he, he may listen in on this one. He may not, but it made me laugh because he's like, I've never thought about the fact that spring is in my last name. So uh, there you go. Wow. So, I think uh, winter is probably my favorite. My, I'm a birth. My birthday is on Christmas Day, which explains my Messiah complex. I like to say the month of Kinnaman. Uh, I'm sure in some culture somewhere it's the month of Kinnaman. <laughs> you got to you got to Google that. Yeah, it's right. not so even it's winter. Really, it turns out it's not even the day of it's not even the day of David uh, because by the time we get around to celebrating my birthday, it's about 10 p.m. <laughs> uh, we often we often have uh, the birthday cake like after midnight. So on December 26th, uh, I told my I told uh, my mom. Last year, you always likes to make a, it's one of the great benefits of having a, a Christmas birthday is that you're always with your family. You always have the day off if you're not a pastor. Um, and, um, and so, um, <clears throat> I told my mom last year, who always likes to make a big cake for me. I was like, Hey, my one wish is for it to be done before 10 PM. And we still didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, that's good to know. Yeah. And in California, winter feels a lot like summer. So there you go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Not a big difference. Well, we are heading into the fall, which is my second, third favorite season. I think summer's my fave. Uh, I love it. So I'm in moderate mourning now that August is ticking by, but uh, hey, we'll survive and God willing, we'll do it again next year. But that means like volunteers and this, I don't know what you think about this, David, feel free to disagree, but I think this fall will be the real test of the system. I know we got Delta surging, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of uncertainty, but it almost feels like the season where this is the closest to normal we've had in a couple of years. And so it's it's like the waiting period isn't entirely done, but it is largely finished and it will be an interesting thing to see what happens this fall. Agree or disagree? I, I agree with that. I think it's going to be like a yeah. modif- modified, uh, you know, you know, back to normal uh, way of life. So, you know, schools right. are opening up, you know, for the, so for in my family with my son who's a senior and my daughter who's uh, going to be like a junior in college. And, you know, it's like everyone's sort of back into that almost ready back for school. And, um, you know, so, so many of my nephews and nieces and other others. And so I think there will be a little bit of the sense of, okay, you know, even with Delta, even with some of the other challenges, like we've got to, like life has to kind of move forward. Uh, but with that, I think comes a lot of new terrain. I mean, so many leaders we're talking to uh, are talking about the challenges of, um, you know, the fact that their their buildings just aren't full like they used to be, or the, the, mm-hmm. the numbers of people who are coming are just still uh, smaller. Um, it's just, it feels like um, I've traveled a lot in the UK and, um, you know, churches are just sort of 
when, when you go, they're so vibrant, but they're so, sort of small and under-resourced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they're like, you know, a big church there is, is a hundred or 200 people. Um, and so it kind of feels like, you know, we're kind of taking a dose of some of the medicine that other Western countries have taken here in the States and North America. Uh, obviously there's still huge churches, lots of people. Um, but, but I think this is, um, we talked about this in the very early months of the pandemic on this on this program that <clears throat> I was concerned that there would be these habit forming ways of the pandemic shaping people's mm-hmm. expectations and experiences. Mm-hmm. So we're here today to talk about volunteers and lay people and lay the lay engagement. And uh, you know, everyone's just trying to hold on, even in coming back to a modified normal. Uh, it feels like uh, church leaders are gonna have a harder time sort of mobilizing people, and we're already hearing that from leaders. So yeah, and we are going to go there with our guests today, but what are some recent stats on your mind about volunteering, digital volunteers, which is sort of a new category, right? That's always historically been kind of a staff thing. Maybe you have some people manning a digital prayer line or something like that, but um, share share some of the data that you've been looking at as we get ready for the fall. Well, there's two things I'd like to sort of cover. One is we've got just a couple of key stats that we've been looking at in, in, in sort of since the pandemic. Half of churchgoers agree that there are ways for them to volunteer digitally at their church, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is a pretty you know significant number. That half see pretty that there big. is dig- digital volunteer opportunities. Seven in ten church adults agree that post pandemic churches should use digital resources to reach and engage their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So I think it really has given them uh, a wider perspective on digital engagement. Uh, and then, I wonder so what that's, the thirty percent are thinking. It's like, why wouldn't you use digital? outreach to reach your neighborhood. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm always interested in, in the minority report in our data. So, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like we'll ask a question, like, are you interested in living a, a, a meaningful life? And, you know, you get like 76% who say yes. And you're like, what in the world are you other, uh, your other quarter of, of adults thinking? That's it. So, Because my mind immediately went to what, are you against billboards? Are you against flyers? Are you against talking to humans? Like what, what, why only seven in 10, but okay. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are those are some interesting things to tease out in future research. So, yeah. the last thing I'd like to just point out before we get into our discussion today is that you know I, I'm a firm believer that the church exists not just for a bunch of um, consumers, but for participation for you know the vocation of all believers, the, the priesthood of all believers. That the most effective churches actually engage people across a range of things to be prayers and intercessors, to be givers and generous, to be uh, on mission with Jesus in terms of evangelism, to be uh, impacting you know the po- the poor and the least of these, um, and so many other ways, and to be volunteering and engaging, and not just sort of in perfunctory or you know like like hey, we, what the church really needs is someone to direct traffic and and the parking lot, or what the church really needs is someone to serve the children, but things that are that are consistent with gifts and callings. So for many years, we've seen the challenge of this. And I want to cover just three quick stats that I think sort of illustrate this. In a study we sure. did called Better Together, uh, we looked at um, pastors' perspectives about lay initiatives, lay, lay people, volunteer-driven initiatives. Um, and so here's three different questions that we asked. So I prefer lay initiatives to new church programs. I prefer lay initiatives to new church programs. 92% of pastors said they agreed with that. I prefer lay initiatives to new church programs. Pretty amazing, right? Like this, like pastors get the idea that lay programs, lay effort, lay lay people are are at the heart of this. For our church to be healthier, question number two, for our church to be healthier, lay people must take more responsibility. And 
what do you guess is the percentage of people, pastors who agree with that? I'm going to say 90, 95%. <laughs> it is 96%. For, our, right. church, for our church to be healthier, lay people must take more responsibility. So pastors are in agreement that lay initiatives are good. They're in agreement that church health is in some way tied to lay, you know, sort of uh, responsibility and action. All right. Final question. My church leader, my church leadership is good at developing new leaders. What percent of uh, pastors do you think agree with that? Truthfully, 27%. Only 9% said that they agree, they agree strongly. And if you, if you give them a little bit of credit and say, agree somewhat, it's 59%, 50% say agree somewhat, which in, in my history of doing social research, you know, people who say somewhat to a, to a positive thing, it's sort it's of like, yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're, you know, basically we ain't, we ain't failing at that, but we're going to give ourselves a little, a little bit of credit. So only 9% say that they're wow. really good at developing uh, leaders and lay leaders. <clears throat> so you see this interesting kind of challenge, which I think is a great setup for our interview today. Wow. Well, that uh, that's really fascinating because even getting honest opinions on that, I, I applaud the 9% and the 91% that didn't say I strongly agree because in some of the, even pulling my own audience, uh, a lot of people would say we are really, really struggling with volunteer yeah. development, lay people development, all of that. And that's why I'm really glad uh, to have two guests today. Rob Peabody is the co-founder and CEO of Vomo, a web-based platform and application that leverages technology to power a global volunteer movement. Before that, he served as pastor for several years at Lake Point Church, a mega church in Garland, Texas, as well as founded a nonprofit focused on community change called Awaken. And uh, Pastor Derek Sanford is with us as well. He's the lead pastor of Grace Church in McKean, Pennsylvania, a multi-site church located in the Erie area. He has served as minister at Grace since 1995, starting as a youth pastor, then exec pastor before his current role as lead pastor. He also created a ministry called Serve Erie that has mobilized churches and organizations to address the needs of the greater Erie area through volunteerism. Welcome, Rob, and welcome, Derek. So glad to have you both with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Gary. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Rob and Derek, any reaction to the stats that uh, that David just shared? I uh, I was surprised at how refreshingly honest <laughs> one of those <laughs> results was, and uh, I'm I'm curious what your your thought is. Any surprises there? Anything that you noticed in the data? For me, it's um, the 96 percent about uh, saying lay people must take more initiative in the church. That was uh, I, I I hear that a lot from pastors and church leaders. You know. As a as a concept, but oftentimes it, it I find that it stops there, right? And and how does that fall into implementation or like execution? I feel like that would be a, a good follow up because I I feel a lot of folks saying saying they want to see more of that, but then it, it kind of stops there a lot of times. Hmm. How about for you, Derek? Any, any yeah, thoughts? Not- I definitely am uh, resonating with those statistics. I think that the, that the pastors that I uh, hang with, and even in my own church, there's definitely that uh, desire. And I know we've we've really tried to tap into this this uh, volunteer movement where volunteers can serve really at any level. But um, it is the it is on the development side of things. I think that things often fall off for uh, for pastors. We're not sure exactly how to to implement a strategy that will help to to open that pipeline up and to develop people along the way. 
So Derek, you've written a new book called Untapped Church, and it's about your church's journey to integrate a more volunteer-centered culture. Can you tell us what prompted the shift? Like, why did you switch to more volunteers and how you've seen it transform the broader culture of your church since that transition? Yeah, sure. And I, I think uh, most pastors can resonate with this idea that there always seems to be more ministry to do than we have paid staff to do it. Yeah. And uh, the opportunities are, are wide and broad, but often we feel very limited by uh, the amount of salary dollars that we can allocate toward you know, toward doing that ministry. And so uh, back in 2011, I stood at a, a whiteboard at a staff retreat for our church and did what a lot of uh, leaders do. We went through a SWOT analysis together and, and uh, got to the end and had the, the usual suspects up on the board. You know, our, the strengths are, you know, our worship ministry is fine and our kids ministry is good and the youth and, and all the stuff. And, and uh, we all had this kind of unsettled feeling at the end of that. And somebody piped up and said, well, where would we put our people on that list? And uh, it was this aha moment for our church, mm. and we 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 kind of put words to it that our people are actually our greatest strength. Um, that our people have capacity to do things we can't do. Our people have capacity to go places we can't go. Uh, just from our limited staff and to do ministry, quite frankly, that we can't do. And so we started uh, early on after that kind of aha moment, inviting leaders to assume leadership roles throughout our organization, throughout our entire church, and to let them kind of rise to any level of leadership that they wanted to the point where we've had, you know, we have volunteer leaders leading our paid staff, determining their salaries and figuring out what their, uh, you know, uh, um, pros and cons of their work life are. We've got, uh, we had volunteers leading our biggest a location. We're a multi-site church. And uh, I remember walking into a room one day and there to, to their staff meeting and there were 19 volunteers, including the, the campus pastor and one part-time worship leader was the only paid person in the room. And so... <laughs> We've really tried to just create an environment where volunteers can lead at, at, at every single uh, level. So we're going to come back to that because that's a really fascinating story. And I've heard of a handful of churches that have really done that with staff, like really being volunteers who run significant things. But I want to ask both of you, and maybe we'll start with you, Rob. A lot of the pastors I talk to that we talk to right now, end of summer 2021, heading into the fall, are still struggling with recruiting volunteers that they need to even run basic ministry. We're talking childcare, parking team, uh, greeting, you know, everything. It seems like, you know, there hasn't been a rush back to church that everybody hoped for. Part of that is there seems, generally speaking, to be a volunteer shortage happening right now. Um, any thoughts on number one, whether you're seeing the same thing? And number two, how to begin to address that? Rob, we'll start with you. No, I... I resonate with that. I hear that a lot from a lot of the churches and pastors that we serve and a lot of nonprofits as well, feeling the same way. Um, what's interesting is we did a thing called the, with VOMO called the Be a Neighbor campaign this past year. And we found through statistical analysis that on a weekly average, we were short 6.5 million volunteers per week across the U.S. And wow. then our churches, as well as the nonprofits that we serve. And um, no, I, I, I hear that all the time. And, and it's uh, a lot of stories, you know, I'm down in Dallas. Uh, it's fairly open down here. Delta's spiked and everybody's kind of freaking out this last week, but churches are quasi back to normal here, but a lot of different parts of the country that we serve, I mean, they're completely closed down still. And how do we do church? What is the new normal? How do I, 
how do we even open up the building and and get the volunteers that are required to do that? And so I think it's it's forcing people to really you know, analyze the moment we were in and how do we shift? How do we pivot? What what does it look like as we move forward with church? And now's the opportunity, the challenge, but real opportunity in front of us. Quick, quick um, supplement to that before you go to Derek. So I think Texas has been as open as anywhere has been on, you know, in the Western world uh, since the early stages of the, you know, middle of the pandemic. Have you found, I know this won't be Barna-like insight, but just based on what you know, connecting with all the leaders, have volunteers now caught up in Texas that you've been open for six or eight months, so numbers are where they should be? So is it just a lag in the system and they're all coming back, or is there still a, a bit of a chronic shortage of volunteers from what you're experiencing in Texas? Yeah, from what we see in Texas, I mean, everything was shut down during the whole quarantine, but it was about, what, the early summer that things started coming back on, people started coming back. Um, what's been interesting, though, is when everyone moved to digital church, um, the churches are back open, the staff are there, but I'm, I'm finding there are less people attending on a weekly basis because uh, they got so used to doing this virtually or following other pastors or listening to other people or doing home church, whatever that might look like with their family. And so, yes, the churches are more open and, and there are enough volunteers back to run the services, but it's the same story. It's like, wow, there used to be uh, a lot more people in the room and now there's 50% of what used to be here. And are they coming back? Is this the new normal? How do we minister to those people remotely? Um, so, yeah, I, I would say to answer- so the volunteers are, are adequate for what they have, but there's just a lot fewer people. Right. Gotcha. So, the ratio is kind of the same. It's just a smaller number. Uh, well, are, and if you've ever been to Texas, everything really is bigger in Texas. So the <laughs> fact that Texas is running at 50% is, is telling something. Yeah. Uh, Derek, your take on yeah, that and, I w- and the I'd add on too. I mean, I, I think that that right-sizing concept is, is, is important because I know for us, when we started to open back up, it was like, I think we had in our minds that we have to get back to those uh, pre-numbers. So we need the same number of people out in the parking lot and the worship right. team and the cafe and like all the, pl- and it's actually for less people that are coming, you actually need less volunteers. And so this idea that we, we can right size the number of volunteers that we're bringing back in based on the number of people who are coming. And and I would just say from a practical standpoint, I, I think that, you know, obviously from our philosophy here, one of the best ways to, to recruit volunteers to come back is through other volunteer leaders. And so right. when there's a volunteer leader leading the ministry, there's a different kind of uh, draw that they have toward volunteers to be like, well, I'm doing this. And so I'm inviting you to do this with me. And I think, um, you know, that that's an important aspect. And I would also say just, I think pastors in general and in all phases of ministry, not just volunteerism, but, but there's a proof of concept moment here where, where people who are watching from home or who are staying away because of safety concerns or whatever, for them to be able to see what's happening uh, at the church and through the church, uh, through either, you know, live videos or things like that, when they see, oh, there's people volunteering. Uh, so maybe I would consider volunteering again. And I think we have to do to go overboard uh, to kind of show people, you know, here are some volunteer opportunities. Here's what it looks like. Here are the safety measures we have in place. And uh, as people see it and see, oh, okay, I could serve in that, that kid's ministry again because I just saw another volunteer doing it on a Facebook Live or whatever. I think that's an important, um, you know, a, a step that we can take right now. David, I know you're the interviewer, co-interviewer here, but it's interesting, and you hinted at this in the intro, and I know this is a life passion of yours, but 
you know, I'm looking back, I was a lead pastor for over like 25 years and, you know, have now been um, in the founding pastor role, which means I don't have an active day-to-day practice, but still very plugged into the local church. But I often realized looking back on it that I often thought of volunteering as staffing the church, people in the parking lot, people in the nursery. But David, you've had a real passionate commitment to helping people realize their spiritual gifting. And now having been, you know, mostly in my backyard for the last 15 months, just recently back at church, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot I can do in this neighborhood. There's a lot I can do equipped by the church, but independent of the church. Any any questions around that, David, or thoughts you want to add to the mix? Because I think often as a pastor, it's easy to think that all the benefits of volunteering flow to the organization, flow to the church. And I'm not sure that's a biblical paradigm. Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, it's something I am really passionate about. And I think um, in this moment of um, great skepticism for the church and, yeah. and uh and and you know stories and more stories coming out around sort of uh, just um, <clears throat> you know the rise and fall of churches right and the rise and right. fall of different leaders and the challenges of sort of building you know sort of empire building if 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 you know we could call it that and um, so <clears throat> you know I think the most important thing for us to realize is that people notice whether you're in it and asking them to volunteer because it's serving your purposes as a, mm. a leader. And it's sort of really self-serving versus enabling, equipping, empowering, uh, helping people identify their deeper calling. Now, listen, there's a whole part of today's moment where people need to be called to sacrificial, you know, sort of uh, giving up something of the, themselves to be a part of the body. It's not just you know, sort of a community out, community outreach club where we all try to just put our, our best foot forward and look our best uh, in doing so. Uh, and, it, and as such, you know, serving the kids, if, if you don't feel called to that might be the best thing for you. But I think, I think millennials, Gen Z, they're going to see through those things that are really about, about us building our own work and our own empire and our own, our own sense of what it, you know, like, you know, sort of, sort of, if you're asked to be on the board and you're a lawyer, or you're asked to be on the board because you're, you know, wealthy. Um, there's a, there's a real skepticism right now in the water uh, about hmm. how people are being asked to do what. And I'm just a firm believer that there is a, a powerful vision of the church of the future. And some churches are doing some of this, that it is these, you know, co-missional um, circles of influence that the church really is equipping people to understand who they are, who they are in Christ, what they're created to do, a masterpiece in Christ Jesus. And that, you know, it's not just about trying to have platform ministry. I and mean, we still have such a, a powerful sacred secular divide that the most important work happens if you're called into professional ministry. So I'm just a believer that, uh, you know, for us to, to regain credibility with millennials and Gen Z, the church is going to have to have a very authentic uh, and and very hard for us really to grapple with because most leaders really do. And the bigger the church, the more you need the fresh fuel of volunteers to make that work. So I think that's another uh, challenge is the, for bigger churches, especially is you're actually um, you've, you've got to have more, more fuel to, to feed that fire of, you know, gr- growing a, a vibrant, especially weekend worship service and all that's required there. Again, volunteering is good. Picking up chairs, you know, cleaning up trash, doing things that, you know, are, are not recognized. I think there's a whole theology of volunteering that we need, uh, but it's very important that we have this kind of vocational and calling re- re- reformation in how we think about the priesthood of all believers and the role of local churches in equipping and empowering people to do that. Hmm. Really appreciate that. 
framework, David. Derek, any thoughts on that? And Rob, do you think that this could be under the declining volunteer rates and the struggle for volunteers, particularly among, I think you're right. I think there's a bit of a generational divide. I see that more in millennials and also in Gen Z where they kind of see through it, right? They see through it and they go, oh, wait, this is all about staffing the church. Then not that there's anything wrong with that. I believe in the local mission of the church. I give to it. I'm part of it. I, I'm, I'm 100%. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying, is there more, Derek? What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think I think David, you're right on, and I think there is this uh, 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 feeling kind of rising up among generations of like I, I'm not necessarily want to serve your your kingdom. I want I want God to use me in a unique and special way, and I think you know, obviously, helping people to find their own individual calling is really uh, really a critical piece to this because um, uh, you know people people understand what what God has called them to, and I think for for the for the church itself, you know, I, I think one of the great plagues of the modern church is 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 really copying. So when I was coming up, I'm I've been in ministry for 26 years. You know, it was Willow Creek, it was Saddleback, it was all those guys and going, I want to take what they're doing and make it, you know, bring it to my community. And today it might be Hillsong or Elevation or Voo Church or whatever, and people are 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 copying. And I think one of the things about um, identifying and unleashing volunteers to do their thing is it gives each church a unique thumbprint because if you're if you're investing in volunteers and helping people to find their localized calling it's going to help your church to be to to have a localized impact because that they're not aware of what's going on at elevation and all, all these places they just want to do what god has called them to do and so whether that's a local school down the street that they feel called to or you know a a a, a city block that is particularly struggling uh, that they feel god's calling them to and i believe by kind of raising up volunteers and, and uh, helping them to find their calling. It actually gives each local church a local thumbprint that, that keeps us from copying other churches. Yeah. I, I just want to just weigh in real fast and say, I couldn't agree more. I think from the early days of my, my work here at Barna and through the last number of decades, I've been here uh, 20, 25 plus years now and um, copycat ministry. It just, it seems like such a plague, such a, such a bane uh, because mm-hmm. There, God's given each of us cre- creative mandates. Of course, we're going to end up doing many of the same kinds of things, but the focus on, you know, sort of who's doing what best or, or you know, the classic question pastors run, like, what are you running, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and then what are you doing? And um, it's okay. I mean, that's that's just sort of t- shop talk is natural, but I do think there's there's a real uh, need for in today's world for real innovative thinking and and a real sense of like spirit led, like, God, what are you calling me to do? And it shows up in the fact that, that, you know, churches have like 20, even smaller or mid-sized churches have 20 plus, sometimes 30, 40 different programs they're running. They're absolutely not capable of running all those things with, uh, with, with any kind of excellence or any kind of effectiveness, but they, they feel like they have to do them because that's what every other church is doing. Or, you know, you end up seeing some of these trends. Again, I also think there's some really good side to this idea of like in the last 30, 40 years, the Jesus movement and charismatic worship as has really whatever your denominational stream has really opened up this expressive form of worship, even in Catholic communities and other kind of liturgical formats. So there's some good that can come from, you know, new waves of change in the church, but to the degree that we just end up relying on what others are doing is a, I think a real, real disadvantage to today's church. Rob thoughts on that. Anything you want to add to this dialogue? Fascinating. No, absolutely. And I, I don't know if you can see my face or not, but I was just smiling the whole, when David was talking in the beginning, because what he's describing is, is been my whole life journey. You know, I'm 
at 26 leading a mega church in Dallas right out of seminary. And it's a campus site of a mega church that becomes a mega church itself. And all of a sudden I inherit a $8 million building and 20 staff and you're the youngest one. And I just, I have this overwhelming holy discontent that I'm like, gosh, there's got to be more than us just running through the systems and getting more ushers. Like what, what are we here for? How, how can we be, you know, mobilizing the church to be the church outside the walls of the church? And, and there's a whole long story to it, but it, it led to meeting the mayor of our city, adopting local title one schools. I didn't even know what a title one school was at the time. And, and then how do you bring people on that journey? For international people and others oh, yeah. who are not, what does that mean? Yeah, it's, it's a uh, school where the majority of the population, the families there are government on government subsidy. And gotcha. so thank you. Yeah. And, and you find out that the school is, you know, the modern day well, right? It's the, the cross section of society where everybody's coming together. And so as a church, just exactly what David's saying, how do we, how do we live out our calling and our, our gifts, our skills, our abilities, our talents, not just our money, right? And, and leverage all of it, our time to go, go live out the kingdom and take those risks um, to see the church multiplied in our community instead of empire building like we're, like he was referencing earlier, because it's such a, uh, it's there's a draw to that, right? There's a huge draw to it. I think everybody on this call has experienced different levels of that. And yet I'm not convinced that that's, I think God uses that at times, but I'm not convinced that's the best way. It's a machine you end up feeding, right? Which can be interesting. And, and it has a really good purpose. Like great, great stuff is done within the walls of the church and lots of great stuff is done outside of the church. Rob, you are a bit of an entrepreneur. And um, a lot of senior pastors have an entrepreneurial leaning, or at least many do, certainly founders do. What have you learned by creative experimentation about engaging volunteers? What are some ways that really, because every church has that, you know, highly capable people sitting in a row somewhere who never do anything. Maybe they give, maybe they, but they don't serve. They don't invite their friends. What catalyzes the body of Christ? What, in your view, could leaders look to? Because I want to get practical in the, the the final few minutes of this interview. Yeah, I you know, you go around the church, take a poll. Everybody knows great commandment, great commission. I can I teach the Bible study class. I sing the songs. I know it all. Right. But Okay, so then that's great. And then here's Monday through Friday. And how does, you know, how do we implement that? And I found a thing. I, I end up calling it the ignorance barrier because I, I think most people in our churches if you go tap them on the shoulder or knock on their front door and say, hey, we've got a need down the street, this fence got fallen down by this old widow or whatever, somebody would go and, and you know, be compelled to action. But the issue is, is because we don't get practical a lot of times, I have no clue what the needs are in my local community. I don't know what the needs are in my local congregation. I don't know what's going on outside. I'm too busy. I've got rhythms of life that and so much noise going on in our entertainment, social media world that it's, I am just ignorant of what the needs are. And so if we can, if we can start identifying those and serving those up and here's what's going on, not only in our church community, but in our society or our culture as a whole, that we could be addressing. And then here are very easy on ramps for us to actually go do something tangible about it. Uh, that makes a world of difference. And, you know, I was a church planner in London uh, with the IMB for six years before I started VOMO after Lake Point. And it was the exact same issue there. And I, I started seeing this all across the Western world. This wasn't just a Dallas buckle, the Bible belt issue where we were just, you know, going to the church and doing our thing and clocking in and out. But this, this is, this is a much larger issue. 
And how as we as leaders can we can we be addressing that and making it very simple for our people to have those on ramps and then experience that lifestyle of what it looks like to put faith in action. Derek, um, and I, I don't mean to disparage the organized church. I don't want to call it the institutional church because that has such a negative connotation, but the organized church. I mean, the disorganized church is, I don't think, going to help a whole lot of people. So, uh, But in your church, uh, you've got, like, in some areas, one-third paid staff and two-thirds uh, unpaid staff. Did First of all, is that statistic right? And secondly, how on earth do you get there? Like, th- that's great. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, at our, at our uh, staff meetings, they're quarterly now, quarterly staff meetings for our entire staff. We have two thirds who are unpaid and one third who are paid. And, uh, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, it looks like an impossible mountain to climb for some, but I, I think the biggest barrier that a lot of leaders have to get over pastors particularly is just to believe that it's possible that pastors mm. I think have become good at saying no, no for people. And what we found early on is that we would ask people to, to do big things, you know, beyond the parking lot, beyond the, like to sit at important tables and make important decisions. And I was shocked by how many people said yes. And, you know, our journey has been to, to really very practically, I mean, the whole second half of my book is very practical. It's like a workshop, but, you know, we, <laughs> the, the first big decision that we had to make is to treat people like staff. And um, it really kind of honored them and gave them uh, authority. So we gave them business cards. We gave them church email addresses, name tags on Sunday. They have to fill out vacation request forms when they're going to be away. I mean, these are volunteer leaders that are telling us when they're going to be away. We basically just said, we're going to eliminate the line that exists between paid staff and volunteer staff and just treat everybody as if they're their staff. Uh, one of the practical decisions we had to make was to move our staff meetings to the evening. Uh, our staff was comfortably meeting on Tuesday afternoons at one o'clock. And all of a sudden those meetings were, you know, Tuesday evenings at 530 so that people who had real jobs who were part of our staff, you know, could come to the staff meetings and that sort of thing. So there are some practical things that 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 we did along the way to kind of nurture that um you know, nurture that culture. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it has allowed us to, to kind of be where we are and really to do more ministry than, than I ever thought possible. The book, if now people's interest is tapped, just to remind you, is called Untapped Church. So yeah. uh, fascinating. More than we can cover in a 40-minute podcast. David, any closing thoughts or questions for Derek and Rob? Uh, well, Derek, I'd love to know sort of what, what was the why behind making that shift between blurring those lines? It's such a, a beautiful vision of a, you know, kind of a, a church unleashed. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned earlier, I mean, I think that this moment where we said we have more ministry than we have paid staff to do, there's more things that God's calling us to than we can pay for. Um, I think that just expanded vision of, man, we have a community to reach here that there's no way that we could ever pay enough staff to do what we believe God's called us to do. And so we just began tapping people on the shoulder and saying, would you, would you consider this aspect of this calling? And uh, they all started saying yes. <laughs> so we, we, just, we just brought them into the room and really wanted to elevate the, the importance, give them the authority to do that. Uh, you know, not that they needed it from us, but uh, you know, in some ways, people feel like, well, unless I've got, you know, some sort of, a, uh, you know, authority to do this, I'm not going to do it. And, and so we tried to just be that backbone for them and, and allow them to step into what God called them to. That's great. Rob, any ideas for small churches? I mean, you both have an experience, and David and I with larger churches. What about um, 
the normal size church, 100 people, 50 people, 150 people, one or two paid staff max. Any ideas on engaging volunteers there? That could be super practical for them. Yeah, we we saw a lot of this uh, brought into focus during the first quarantine of COVID. And um, what we ended up doing at VOMO is is offering our, our platform for free. We did it with Right Now Media to any church that want to come in. And so we have a lot of smaller churches that are using it to do exactly what, you know, the end goal is what Derek is speaking of, but how do I get there with two people on my church staff? And I need an operating system, right? I, you know, we know that every person in your church is going to have access to a smartphone. Statistically speaking, they touch the phone 2,700 times a day. So if we can put that, all the needs and the activation points in the palm of their hand, and help them move from becoming consumers to producers, right, in the local church and the local community, um, you know, that's using technology in a redemptive way. And so a lot of our small churches, that's what they're doing. And then VOMO becomes the operating system of how do we get not only uh, volunteers for the services and the kids ministry, but then how, also how do we activate them in this journey of, you know, the average normal everyday person going out and putting action to their faith right where they live uh, according to their calling. So that's, We've done it through our, our technology, and I, and we saw a big uh, shift from churches who maybe never had online giving or maybe never had uh, a platform like this or even websites because now they got to figure out how, to, how do we do virtual streaming services. And so that challenge has brought this big opportunity for us. And so uh, we love having the opportunity to serve those churches and say, okay, here's here's a way to take it to the next level and get the volunteers you need to have your services. Super helpful. I think this addresses the immediate need, which is for a lot of churches, we don't quite have enough volunteers, but it's also an invitation to rethink. What does that even mean? What are we doing? What are we doing in really um, exploring people's gifts rather than just maybe exploiting them? What are we doing in terms of really equipping people to serve the world, not just the needs of a particular location, etc.? So, Rob, uh, people can get, can get access to VOMO at vomovomo.org. Is that correct? That's correct. Or they can download it in the App Store. Okay, great. So it's vomo.org or the App Store. And then the book from Derek is called Untapped Church. Uh, Rob Peabody, Derek Sanford, thank you so much for being with us. David, uh, we got something exciting talking about mobilizing people. Barn has got a brand new cohort on activating missions. It's CoLab, a six-week learning cohort designed to help you figure out how to prepare your church for an impactful missions future. Any um, quick quick editorial on that and why you're doing that? Yeah, uh, we, we, we're we really committed here at Barna to taking research and turning it into action for local church leaders. And uh, in the spring, we ran a couple different collabs, cohort learnings, six weeks, and uh, really powerful insights, mm. uh, several hundred churches in each of these collabs, but lots of at-home work, uh, sort of facilitation, uh, deep learning, reading, sort of taking the, the stats and turning them into action. So in this case, we're talking about global missions. Uh, even coming out of COVID, how do we, you know, sort of think about the broader world? A lot of churches need a whole a holistic strategy for missions. So we're excited to host this uh, upcoming cohort, and um, you can learn learn more about it uh, at our website, uh, barna.com. And um, so, yeah, we, we we're trying to innovate some learning models for church leaders to take some of this research and really turn it into action, as we talked about earlier. Sort of not just to copy others, but to actually create your own strategy, your own insights to action framework. So uh, we'd love to have you you join us. Well, I love that, David. My guess would be 
um, that people who are activated globally would tend to be active locally. You know, once you really activate people and everybody's got a different thing that opens their hearts for some, it might be international as the first ticket to really um, helping them understand, hey, I've got a role in this rather than just sitting and consuming or attending or scrolling. So if you're interested, you can go to barna.com slash collab and use the promo code churchpulse15. That's churchpulse15 at barna.com slash collab if you want to be involved in the activating missions Barna collab. So there's time limits on that, but it's live, interactive, and uh, we'd be very excited to see you there. Thank you so much, Derek and Rob, for joining us today. Uh, Thanks to all of you leaders who continue to lead through these uh, really interesting times, these very challenging times. We're in your corner. Be back next week with a fresh episode. If this one helped you, as I hope it did. Um, Share and subscribe. Let us know on social and uh, tell a friend. And we'll catch you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.